You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. We are going through our series uh, on the book of Revelation, and we've been talking about these letters to the churches. We saw the letter to the church at Ephesus. We saw the letter to the church at Smyrna. Then uh, we finished up, it wasn't last week, but the week before, we finished up the letter to the church at Pergamos. Tonight we are in the uh, fourth message, the message to the church at Thyatira, beginning in verse number 18. If you'll notice with me, this is the longest letter that uh, the Apostle John writes. Of all seven letters, this one is the longest. And uh, it's interesting how that John goes into some uh, very detailed descriptions of some of the issues and some of the problems that were going on in this church. I want you to notice in verse number 23, it says that I will kill her children with death. And we'll talk about uh, the judgment there. But it says, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Jesus gives this message to the church, but it's not just for this church, it's for all these churches. And by the way, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for us. God has a message for us. And tonight, I know you'd say, well, certainly they, don't, they didn't have the same problems 2,000 years ago that we have tonight. Can I tell you, we do. We do have the same problems that they had 2,000 years ago. Isn't that amazing? You say, why is that? Well, maybe because Satan is still on the attack. Maybe because Satan still is doing everything he can to destroy the truth and he's trying to destroy the church. And Satan is opposed to anything and everything that is good and that is godly and that is holy. And Satan is on the attack, just like he was with this church. He is on the attack in our church. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us tonight speak to our hearts, help the word of God to be preached and to be declared with clarity. I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit of God would speak and move in our midst and point out things in our own lives and point out things in our own church that need to be fixed and need to be right. And I pray that we as members of this church and we as the body of Christ, I pray that we would make changes in our lives that would then cause the church to be what it ought to be. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. The two, I say the two attacks, but really the two enemies that this church fought against so, so difficultly were the things of idolatry and immorality. Those were two sins that were prevalent in Thyatira. They were prevalent in that town, in that city, and those had crept into the church. Can I say this? Idolatry, we saw it with the, uh, the, the churches at Pergamos and the church at Smyrna, but idolatry is still prevalent in homes, idolatry is still prevalent in churches and ministries. You say, well, what is idolatry? Idolatry is putting anything or any person in the place that belongs to God. It doesn't have to be a statue. Doesn't have to be uh, something made out of gold. Doesn't have to be something that's made out of bronze. 
uh, an idol is anything that takes the place of God in your life. Your idol could be a bank account. Your idol could be a hobby. Your idol could be a person. You say, but, but I, I love this person. I love my family. And, I, and by the way, you ought to love your family. Hello, I mean, that's not hard to figure out, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. But did you know that the person that you should love and the person that I should love more than anybody in the whole world is Jesus Christ. We are to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, by the way, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, they said, what does a person have to do to be a disciple? Well, Jesus said, you're gonna have to be willing to forsake all that you have. You're gonna have to be willing to take up your cross daily. You have to be willing to follow me. But then Jesus made this statement. He said, and whosoever hateth not his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brethren, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You say, well, that doesn't sound like it's very biblical. Well, the Bible never contradicts itself. And Jesus is not saying in that verse, you gotta hate your wife. And then in another verse, he says, love your wife. But here's what Jesus was telling his disciples. He was saying that your love for Jesus has got to be so far above your love for any other person or else here's what will happen. When that person goes astray, you also will go astray. If you love a person more than you love Jesus, what happens when that person dies? What happens when that person leaves you? What happens when that person stabs you in the back? What happens when that person walks away from the Bible and walks away from truth? What happens is you follow a person rather than following Christ. And so if Jesus is number one, everything else is gonna fall into place. You see, my marriage will not be better if I love my wife more than I love Jesus. My marriage will be better if I love Jesus more than I love my wife. Because if I love Jesus like I should, I'm going to know how to love my wife like I should. I wasn't planning on saying all that, but I'm glad I did. Do you understand what that means? Does that all make sense? If your priorities and my priorities are not right, everything's going to be out of whack. You know how that goes. Have you ever had a day uh, where everything went wrong and you, you traced it back and you said, you know what? I didn't get things right with the Lord. And when things are not right with the Lord, things are not gonna be right in other areas of life either. Your marriage will not be right. Your relationship with your children, uh, your relationships at work, your relationship with neighbors, and uh, just your attitude in general will not be right if it's not right with the Lord. I'll say this about idolatry. Satan does not care who or what you worship as long as it's not Jesus. He doesn't care. It could be a good thing. It could be something that would be commendable, something that would be plausible. It could be something that most people say, now that's a good thing. That's a good cause. Satan doesn't care who your idol is, who you worship, what you worship, as long as it's not Jesus. Satan has been successful and Satan has been victorious in your life. Notice with me, if you would, I'm gonna give you an outline. I'm gonna give you uh, four 
letter J's and not just because my name is Jeremy and not just because my siblings are all J's, but that's the way it flows, I think, with this passage. So let me give you some letter J's. Number one, I think you know the first one we're going to give you, and that is Jesus. This is a letter that Jesus gives to the church in Thyatira, and here's what he says in verse 18. These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and he says again, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. We see Jesus, this message comes from Jesus. He is the Son of God. Now, what's significant about that title? Well, that title indicates that Jesus Christ is God. He, he is deity. Jesus Christ is not a notch below God. Jesus Christ is God. He is equal with God. And he makes it very clear to this church that he is the Son of God. John used this title, uh, the Son of God. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John. I want you to see a few places here very quickly. John chapter 1. John made no mistake in his writings and in his ministry. He made no mistake who Jesus Christ is and who Jesus Christ was as he appeared on the scene. Verse number 34, the Bible says, And I saw and bear record, John 1, 34, that this is the Son of God. We're not just talking about another prophet. We're not just talking about another great leader, another great teacher. This is not just a miracle worker. This is Jesus, the Son of God. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. John 3, verse number 18. It says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You say, why is the deity of Jesus so important? Because if you do not believe on the name of the only begotten Son of God, if you do not believe that Jesus is God, the Bible says, not, not the pastor, not the church, not the denomination. The Bible says you are condemned. That's a strong word. You know what that word condemned means? It means that you have been sentenced to a place called hell. You say, well, I don't think that's fair. Well, I say this as nicely as I know how to say, it's not up to you. It's not up to me. We don't decide. We just follow what God has said, and God has made it clear that there's only one way to get to heaven, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. I'll get to it at the end of the lesson, but the Bible says in 1 John 5, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. We see that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, turn with me to John chapter 20. I like this one, John 20, he kind of sums up his, his gospel and uh, he sums up his writings and he makes it very clear who Jesus is. John 20, verse 31. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. 
You know why the Gospels were written? You know why the Bible was written? So that you could believe on Jesus Christ and you could be saved. This message comes from Jesus. We see that his eyes in Revelation 2 are like a flame of fire. Uh, that indicates that Jesus' eyes are all seeing. There's not anything that happens that Jesus does not see. His eyes are a flame of fire. His feet are like fine brass. The brass in the Bible always speaks of judgment. And here Jesus is coming to the church at Thyatira and he says, I'm getting ready to judge this church. He says, I'm going to evaluate your works and I'm going to judge you according to your works. Notice in verse number 19, he says, I know thy works and thy charity. That word charity is love. Your service, your faith, your patience, your works. This church had amazing Balance, But notice, if you would, in verse number 23, it says, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Now, don't be confused in the Bible when it talks about works, because salvation does not come by works. And you ought to be very thankful that salvation is not by works. Hallelujah. Salvation is by grace. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. But the Bible does teach that although salvation is by grace, rewards come because of works. That's what will happen at the judgment seat of Christ. Our works will be tried. Our works will be manifest not to determine if we're saved or if we're going to heaven, but to determine the, the rewards or the crowns that we will receive because of our works. We see the church at Thyatira. Jesus gives them his words. We better listen. Verse 29, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. But then we see in verses 20 through 25, we see Jesus warning. Can I tell you, some people are just, some people just worry too much, right? We all know people like that. Maybe that's you. Maybe you worry too much. But there are some people, when they give you a warning, you better listen. You better pay attention. And when Jesus Christ gives a warning, he's not being silly. He's not over-exaggerating. He's not making stuff up. Jesus is serious in the warning that he gives to this church at Thyatira. We see his words, his warning, but then we see his world. I love this. Verse 26, he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, literally broken to pieces, even as I received of my father. Did you know that this world I understand right now that because of sin and the fall, I understand that this world is under the control of Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air. But you know who gave Satan the permission to do anything? God. You know who has all authority? It's not Satan. It's God. You know who has all power? God has all power. And aren't you glad to know that when you watch the news and you read about things going on in different countries or things going on in different places... Isn't it good to know that God's got it all under control? He is all-powerful, and someday, during the millennial reign, 
we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm glad that's not now. I'm, I'm glad that's, you know, after we've got our glorified bodies and I'm glad that's after we've been sanctified and all that because some of us wouldn't rule well now. Uh, some of us, if we had too much power, we'd, uh, we'd probably take things a little too far. But we will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years during the millennial reign. That's what it talks about in verse number 26 and 27. But we see number one in our outline, we see Jesus. And Jesus is the center. Jesus is uh, preeminent. Jesus is the reason why we're here. But I want you to see number two, Jezebel. Verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. This is Jesus' message to his church. Because thou sufferest or because thou allowest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Let's talk about this for a few moments. There's a, several problems here in this account. One is that this woman, I don't think her name was actually Jezebel, but she acted like Jezebel. Uh, do, you ever, do you ever give people nicknames? And that's not their name, but it's because of how they act, you know? It's because of maybe some things they do or whatever, but I think this woman got the nickname Jezebel, and I don't know who else gave it to her, but Jesus gave it to her. He said, that woman there, she is a Jezebel. Well, what made this woman like this? Well, the Bible tells us that she is a woman who wanted a title. She wanted a position. She wanted people to look at her. She literally led people astray. She taught and she seduced people against the truth of the word of God. I'll say this to our ladies that are here tonight and ladies who are listening and ladies who are watching the service, but ladies, we need you to be Proverbs 31 ladies. We don't need Jezebels in the church. We don't need Jezebels in our home. And I thank the Lord we don't have Jezebels as far as I know. But can I tell you, there is a very serious warning against this church because they allowed a woman to get up and to teach and to lead people astray. They allowed it. It says they, they suffered it. They allowed it. Here's the problem. They were tolerant. Can I tell you, when people accuse you of being intolerant, First of all, I think you need to ask them, well, what are you accusing me of being intolerant of? Because I will tell you, there are some things that I do not tolerate. And there should be some things you don't tolerate. You say, why? Because God doesn't tolerate it. And, you, and, and by the way, we're so programmed by the media and we're so programmed by society that, that we, we don't like it when they give us labels. You are so narrow-minded. Well, can I tell you, I, th I think I am narrow-minded. You want, you want to know how narrow-minded I want to be? That narrow right there, right? As narrow as this book. And that's the way you ought to be. That's the way we all ought to be. Can I tell you, the church got in trouble because they started tolerating some stuff that God did not tolerate. 
some things that God did not approve of. This woman, she began to teach. She began to lead people astray. Well, who is Jezebel? When you study in the Old Testament, she's the wife of Ahab. Ahab was a wicked king. Uh, Jezebel was a wicked queen. And Jezebel led Israel into the worship of Baal. Now, here's what Jezebel tried to do. She tried to mix Baal worship with God worship. Can I tell you, those two don't mix. No man can serve two masters. You're gonna love one and hate the other or hold to one and despise the other, but you're not gonna be able to serve two masters. Jezebel led the, the, the people of God into the worship of Baal. Remember the account on Mount Carmel where Elijah was facing the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove. How'd they get there? Because of Jezebel. How do you deal with a Jezebel? Well, I'll say this, you can deal with a Jezebel like Ahab and you can give in, you can cower down. You can say, okay, well, I guess. Or you can be like an Elijah and say, let me tell you what God says. Let me tell you what's right. Let me tell you what's true. This woman led the church at Thyatira to compromise. She called herself a prophetess. She was teaching in the church. Now, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is something that the world would say this is narrow-minded. But again, I don't really care what the world says. What I care about is what God says, because God's word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. That'd have been a good place to say amen, but I know you're busy turning. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number We'll start with verse number 12. The Bible says, But I suffer, or I allow not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. You say, Pastor, I can't believe you're saying that. Well, that's why I had you turn to the Scripture, because I wanted you to see it. It's not what I said, it's what God said. This, this is God's plan. But here's what's so, what's, here's what's so wild is... In society today, did you know there are denominations right now, major denominations that are having big time war over this because some denominations say, we're gonna have women pastors. Now, when you hear that, you think, well, you know, what's wrong with that? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with that. The Bible says that's not allowed. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I allow, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Here's why. God actually gives the reason for it. Verse 13, for Adam was first formed and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy, um, let's see, your 1 Timothy chapter 3. We continue on. We see the qualifications of a pastor. Now, in case 1 Timothy 2 was not clear, let me tell you what God says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, you help me with this because I have a hard time sometimes with these big words, and I have a hard time with pronouns, so I need your help, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, that's the office of a pastor, 
There are two offices in the local church. There's the office of the pastor and there's the office of the deacon. Those are the only two offices, those are the only two positions that are spelled out in Scripture, okay? Now, number one, it says, if a, what's that next word? Man, okay? So if a man desire the office of a bishop or a pastor, what's the next word? He desireth the good work. So, so far, are we talking about a man or are we talking about a woman? A man, if a man desire, he desireth the good work. Verse two, a bishop then must be blameless. Now this gets real tricky here. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband. Now husband, is that a man or a woman? I always get that mixed up. That's a man, okay, husband of one wife. Now, we don't have time to go back to Genesis and, and, and nail this down, but we do understand, right, that there is marriage, a man and a woman, right? There's two genders, men and women. And this says that a pastor must be the husband. Does that mean he's the male or the female? He's the male, the husband of one wife. So the, the wife is not the pastor. The, the, the man is the pastor, and then he has one wife. It goes on to say, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, um, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, patient, not a brawler, not covetous, verse four, one that ruleth well, what's the next word? His own house, having, what's the next word? His children in subjection with all gravity. By the way, the same applies to a deacon. We get down to the requirements of the deacon. Uh, notice what it says in verse number 12. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling, um, verse number 12, ruling their children and their own houses well. We see that the church at Thyatira had allowed this woman to teach, to preach, to lead, and she didn't lead well. She didn't teach well. But even if she would have, can I tell you, it's not God's plan. They went against the plan of God. We see, number one, we see Jesus. But number two, we see Jezebel. Number three, and we won't finish tonight, but I at least want to touch on this, and I want to end on a good note. Number three, we see there were the just. There were people in this church, and I thank the Lord for this church at Thyatira, there were people in this church who did not follow the crowd. They did not go against the word of God. Would you notice with me in verse number 24? But I say unto you and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. I hope and I pray that this church will always be a church that preaches the word of God. I hope that this will always be a church where you won't have to come and say, oh no, what are they preaching now? And by the way, if, if this church or any church preaches anything that is not biblical, you need to find a church that preaches the Bible. Uh, because your loyalty should not be to a church, first and foremost. Your loyalty ought to be to the Word of God. But can I tell you this? 
I'm thankful that as Jesus wrote to this church, he said there were some that although everybody was doing it, although it was popular, although it was the trend, although that was the thing in Thyatira, everybody was, uh, was, uh, was uh, worshiping idols, everybody was given into immorality, everybody was following Jezebel. There were some who said, no way. We are sticking with the truth of the word of God. And here's the admonition. Jesus said to that crowd, hold fast, hang on tight. Now is not the time to give up. Now is not the time to let go. Now is not the time to throw in the towel. Now is the time to hang on like you've never hung on before. You say, what are we supposed to hold on to? Hold on to the truth. Hold on to what has been given to you. Hold on to what has been passed down to you from your parents or grandparents or pastors or teachers or whoever it may be. Hold on to the truth. Don't let go. A lot of people today, I think, in my opinion, as I see it in the news and as I uh, see it online, I think a lot of people are letting go. You know why? It's hard to hang on. Have you ever been on a, have you ever been on a, a tube pulled behind a speedboat? How many of you have ever been on a tube behind a speedboat? First of all, if you are on a tube and there is an insane driver in that speedboat, that's your fault. You shouldn't have gotten on that. You should have known better. Uh, when we've gone to Lake Waccamaw uh, to the teen retreat, um, if there's, a, there's a, one, of the, one of the guys there that drives, and I'm telling you, this guy, it's, it's unbelievable. And the teens love it. You know, they want to be, oh, throw, see if you can throw me off, you know, whatever. Um, but it seems like the longer you stay on, the harder it gets, right? Your fingers, they feel like, I can't hold on any longer. I can't hold on any longer. And by the way, there will be times where you feel like you can't hold on any longer. And you're probably right. You can't hold on, but God can help you hold on. Your strength, my strength doesn't come from ourselves. It's not, you know, dig a little deeper and give a little bit more. Oh, no, no. It's hold on and trust God. Hold on to him. And as you're holding on to the truth, you're holding on to the hand of God. And you may let go, but aren't you glad God will never let go? Just hang on, hold fast, don't give up the truth. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.